Notice what it says in verse 41 of Acts chapter 2. It says, And they that gladly received His Word were baptized, and the same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Okay? And then look at verse 47. We're going to go back to these other verses in a minute. But it says, Praising God and having favor with all people, all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. What I'm going to be talking about tonight, continuing a series on de- about doing things decently and in order. And I'm going to talk specifically tonight about church membership. Okay? Church membership. Uh, we had somebody that just joined the church this morning that became officially members. And often people are like, well, what does that mean? Because... You know, what does it mean to be a member of a church? You know, why do we have to join? How come some churches you don't have to join? Some churches you do have to join. Some churches you have to go and you have to take a bunch of classes and then join. Some churches you have to actually, I know of some churches you have to actually go and get baptized again in that church. And the truth is, when you go from church to church to church, there's often different rules when it comes to being a member. And there's a reason for that. And the reason for that is because they're different churches. And the truth is, when it comes to church membership, there is not a one-size-fits-all. Not every church is going to do it exactly the same. And I believe this is another area, like many of the areas we've been talking about, where God gives the church the authority to decide how they want to do this. Now, when it comes to this you know, when it comes to church membership, one thing that people often do, and this is bad in the old IFB, they have their process for membership that's in their church bylaws and constitution, and then they make it their mission to prove to everyone in the world that their method is the Bible method. But the truth is, you know, and, and I've listened to this stuff for years. And I'll, I'll listen to some of these sermons and I'm thinking, but you didn't prove anything. You just stretched the Scriptures like crazy. And you know, and this is one of these things that I've searched out like many other things. And I came to the conclusion a long time ago, you know, when it comes to stuff like church membership, you know, there's not a super spelled out way of doing it in the Bible. I believe this is another thing that God left up to the local church to decide how they're going to do it. So I want to show you, first off, the book of Acts here. This passage, uh, the last part of Acts chapter 2, preachers will often go to this passage to prove that their method of church membership is the biblical one. Okay, But I'm going to show you, we're going to read just verses 41 through 47, and we're going to ask ourselves, is there any church in the world today that does everything that we see in this passage? Because I'm going to tell you right now, there isn't. Yet every group... Baptists, Pentecostals, Church of Christ, they all go to Acts chapter 2 in these last verses to prove their method is like the method that has to be done. But yet, Church of Christ, Pentecostals, Baptists, none of us do all of this stuff. And there's a reason for that, and I'll explain that why in a little bit. But let's start reading verse 41. So it says, Then they that gladly received His Word were baptized... And the same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Okay? Some people use this to prove that you you must be baptized for salvation. That's what the Pentecostals would tell you. That's what the Church of Christ would tell you. Okay? But I believe the Bible is very clear that salvation is just by grace through faith. This is just telling us what happened on the day of Pentecost when people got saved, they got baptized. 
which is what you should do. This doesn't prove anything. This is just, once again, it's the book of Acts. It's telling us what happened. This is not a command that in order to be saved, you must be baptized, yet people will do that. Pentecostals will do that. Some use this. Baptists often use this to prove that you must be baptized for church membership. Or they will also use it to prove that baptism is what makes you a member of the church. Because you know they weren't added until they got baptized. Okay, but it says added unto them. Is it talking about the church? Is it talking about the group? Well, we know it's talking about the church because what it says in verse 47, uh, you know, and they're always going to just get super dogmatic about church membership. But let me ask you, is this passage about a process for church membership or is this just telling us what happened? It's just telling us what happened. Okay, It's not explaining this is how you become a member of your local church. This is just telling us what happened. I've been show, you know, stressing that over and over again in the book of Acts. People have got to stop going to the book of Acts and saying, look at what they did and then declaring it a Bible command. And we're seeing Baptists often lose clumsy arguments with Church of Christ and Pentecostals because they're interpreting the Scriptures they want exactly like the Pentecostals are. And then the Pentecostals are turning these things around on them and making them look like idiots because neither of them are using the Bible in context. If we're going to prove how somebody gets saved, why don't we go to the book of Romans where Paul's actually explaining salvation? Why don't we go to something like that? Why are we going to a story where it's not telling us how to get saved, what a person has to do to go to heaven. It's just telling us what happened. And when the 3,000 got saved on the day of Pentecost, they got baptized. That's what happened. And that was good. That's what should have happened. So do you all see how it's foolish to do that with your doctrine? And this is this is this is bad. You know, this is a bad interpretation of scriptures that Baptists often do too. So verse forty two it says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers, and fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles, and all that believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men as every man had need. Okay? Now, are we? does anybody follow this today? Do we believe we should all go live in a commune somewhere? Have we talked about this morning? Are, are you all selling all your goods and giving to the church? Are, you know, should we, if we're going to follow the book of Acts, like it says, shouldn't we have you all selling everything you have and giving it to the church? Or we won't make you sell it. We know we got houses you need to leave in, live in, but you know what? Why don't you hand over the title to the church? You know, why don't you give the titles to your cars of the church? Because some of you have extra cars and we might have somebody else in the church who needs a car and they need to use yours because we're going to have all things in common. Is that what we're supposed to be doing? Is there anywhere in the Bible where we are commanded to do that? No, obviously there isn't. But did they do that in Acts chapter 2? Yes, they did. So why aren't we doing that? All right, why? I mean, if we're going to go and base our doctrine and get our commands off what they did in the book of Acts, why is it any church doing that? The Pentecostals aren't doing that. The Church of Christ isn't doing that. The Baptists aren't doing that. I'm sure there's probably some cults out there doing that. And we would all say that's a weird cult that does that. All of us will go running screaming from a church that says you've got to sell everything you have and give it to the church and we're all going to live off each other. We would all run screaming from that place and we'd say that's a cult. But that's what they did in the book of Acts. And I don't, I don't personally believe they should have done that. I don't see where God commanded them to do that. 
But they did it. You know, that, that's what they did. So that's just, that's bad Bible interpretation to do that. Verse 46 says, and they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking of bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. Some use this to prove we should have church every day. Okay, should we have church every day? You know, when did they have church in the Bible? Did they have it on the Sabbath? Did they have it on Sunday? Right here it says they did it every day. Alright, y'all be ready to be back tomorrow. You know, we're gonna have church every day. That's what they did in the book of Acts. That's a command from the, that's a command from God. No, it's not. That's just what they did. Okay? And if we want to have church every day, I guess we can. And let me ask you, who does have church every day? Catholics. Don't they have their like daily things that they do? Some people talk about how they go to church every day, and I think some people actually do. So Catholics got us beat right there. They're following the book of Acts better than we are. Yeah, but no, that, that's just what they did. This is a specific event. This is a specific time in a specific place. And this is what they did. And then verse 47, you know, uh, 47 says, Praising God, having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. And folks, I've heard it many times. You hear these preachers get up, especially in that association I was talking about last week that's super hardcore on the you know, closed communion. Those get up and like right here we see where the Bible says dailies were added to the church. And they'll just make this huge deal about church membership. And there's people out there that they make church membership a big deal to the point if you are not a member in good standing and a local Bible-believing Baptist church that can trace its lineage back to John the Baptist, you are not a part of the bride of Christ. You're not going to go up in the rapture. It's the rapture of the church. Now, I know you've never seen that statement in the Bible, but you've heard preachers say it over and over again. The rapture of the church. We believe in the rapture of the church. I'm going to preach the rapture of the church tonight. We all believe in the rapture of the church? Amen. We all believe in the rapture of the church. Well, the problem is, I don't see that statement anywhere in the Bible. It's actually the rapture of the saint. It's actually the gathering of the elect. That's what it's, that's what it's actually called in the Bible. We can't call it the gathering of the elect because we might mix Christians up with Jews. Right there. You know, we might, we might give something that they want to give to Israel. So they call it the rapture of the church, and there are people mostly down south in the Baptist, you know, in the Schofield Bible Belt and in the Baptist Brighter Territory, that if you are not a part of the of a church, then you are not a part of the bride of Christ. Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Think about that right there. If you're not a part of the church, he didn't die for you. Well, wait a minute. When he says Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, is that passage teaching us about the structure of the church and who is the church and who Christ died for? Or is that just teaching a husband how to love his wife? That's what that passage is really about, isn't it? Isn't it important how context, matter, you know, how context matters? It really does matter a lot. But these people, they make a big deal about it and they say these things over and over again and then they'll take it to the point that you know what? If you get out of line, we can church you. We can throw you out of the church. You've now been separated from the body of Christ. Rapture comes, you ain't going up. And not many people believe that about the rapture, but there are some, the real hardcore Baptist writers, if you are not a part of the Baptist church, a member, you will not go up in the rapture. So don't get thrown out of that church. You know, you might get church that night, the rapture comes that night, and you're going to be stuck here for the tribulation. You'll still go to heaven when you get, after you get killed in the tribulation. But, you know, you're going to have to endure that because you're not a part of the church. People take this craziness to all different levels. And they will, and they'll go to places like that. It was added to the church, and then they'll show us what they did, 
and then just declare this is how every church has to do stuff. And then they'll just add all these things to it. They're adding all these things, all these commandments of men based on a story in the book of Acts. Folks, that is so out of line, it's not even funny. It's, it's irresponsible. It's reckless with the Scriptures. We should not do that. And then, in the, in the old life, they're even breaking fellowship with other churches who don't do church membership exactly the way they do. That's just stupid. There, there's no reason for that, yet that kind of thing is going on. Some people might even use verse 47. Look what it says there again in verse 47. It says, praising God and having favor with all the people. Y'all see that right there? You know, there's something wrong with these new IFB churches out there that everyone hates. We all ought to be loved by everybody. That's how it was in the book of Acts. Everyone loved them. They had favor with all men. You know, there's something wrong with us if the homosexuals don't like us. It's one thing if they disagree with us, but they should at least like us. It, really, where do you get that? From the book of Acts. Look at what it says right there. That's just what happened in that situation. Now, let me ask you this. Did they stay in favor with all men in the book of Acts? Absolutely not. Let's fast forward some time. And they were getting killed by those people. They were persecuting them. It didn't stay that way. So to just to teach something like that, it is so it is just beyond foolish, reckless, irresponsible. And the IMB world is full of that kind of goofiness today. And I'm just I'm sick of it. I am sick of that type of Bible interpretation. So uh, you know, so a lot of people use that last verse when it mentions such they were added to the church daily, such as to be saved. Some will use that verse to prove that baptism is required for church membership. And I think that's a good rule. I think that's a very good rule. But that verse isn't trying to teach us about church membership. It's just telling us what happened. Y'all get that? It's just telling us what happened. You got to learn how to tell the difference. And there is not a church on the planet today that looks exactly like this church that we see in Acts chapter two. There isn't one out there. And if there is, if there is, I've never seen it. There's not one out there. And while it is completely appropriate to look to the book of Acts for examples, or even to look to other churches for examples on how we need to do things. We need to understand that an example is not always a clear command in the Bible. It's just not. And whenever we, it takes an extremely high level, I mean, an off the charts level of arrogance to, and, and, and you know what else? Insecurity to think that everyone on earth should do everything exactly the way we do it. And many of the things that we do, some of our rules we have and things that we do, it's based off of examples in the Bible. But I would never be so arrogant as to think that everyone has to do it my way or the way our church does it. We are our own church. We do not believe in a universal church. It's the same thing what we talked about last week in the Lord's Supper. If somebody does something a little different than me on that, I would be I mean, off the charts arrogant to think that they're out of line because they're not doing it exactly the way I do. There's some things that are not spelled out in the Bible and God left them to the church to figure out how to do it. And I've read these verses before. I'm going to read them again. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, And I say unto thee, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. 
and I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and I will download all information that you could ever possibly need in you so you know every little thing to do when every little situation comes up. No, that's not what it says. It says, Whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. God, Jesus Christ respects the authority that He gave to us. And He will be in agreement with what we do. And just like as a husband, there are t- as, as an authority over my wife, as Christ is an authority over the church, if I give my wife the authority, if I say, all right, one, one thing she has the authority to do is go buy the groceries. I don't want to do that. And when she goes and she buys the groceries, I, you know, I've let her figure it out. I was like, all right, here's how much I can give you. It's never enough, but you know, here's how much I'm going to give you. Go figure out what to do with it. And I, and I let her do it. And the truth is, it would be out of line for me when, I, when I've done that, when I, when I give her that authority, and then just to go and just... Because I sure don't want to do it. And then just absolutely bash everything she does. Sometimes I get mad when she doesn't buy Dr. Pepper, you know. But at the same time, you know, it's like I don't go with her. You know, I've left that to her and I'm going to let her do it. And you know what I don't do? I don't let the kids complain about whatever she got because she didn't buy enough junk food or whatever. You know, it's, I, you know, I gave that to her and I respect what she does with it. Sometimes I mess up. All right? I'm not Jesus, okay, folks. <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm not perfect in that area. You know what? You didn't buy T-bones for all week with the money I gave you. You know you couldn't make it stretch that far. You know, but at the same time, there are some things that Jesus left to us, and He is going to back up whatever we decide to do. That's that's what He does, and I believe when it comes to church government. I believe He is behind what we do as a church unless it violates clear Scripture. And if it violates clear Scripture, then we have a different story because we have a clear command. It would be different if I give my wife the money and I tell her specifically, alright, here's the money, but you know, don't shop at Kroger. Because I hate it or something. Alright? I mean, I guess if I want to do that, I could. And then she goes and buys a Kroger. You know, then we have a problem. She violated a clear command. But you know, I don't even tell her which grocery store to go to. You know, I I let her figure that out. I don't know. I don't I don't know the best place to go or all that. I've kind of I've given that to her, and the Lord has given some things for us, and He expects us to be able to do them. It says in Matthew eighteen fifteen, more if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. And if he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more. Then in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. And if he shall neglect to hear them, take tell it to the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. Verily I say unto you, whatsoever ye shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever ye shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. The final place you go to in that situation is the church. And what the church decides is what God decides in that situation. Again I say unto you, if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done of them of my Father which is in heaven, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, in my name, under my authority, there am I in the midst of them. He's saying, I'm with you with what you decide to do. I'm behind you. I support you. You have my blessing. You're under my authority. And there are things that God has given to us. 
But because of ignorance, because of insecurity, many pastors today are butchering and they are misrepresenting the Scriptures in an embarrassing way to prove that their church's way of doing something is the only biblical way. And I mean, I have I have listened to some messages from some of the big names in some of these circles, and I, I listen to what they do in the Scriptures, and it's, it's just painful to listen to. Why can't you just be honest and get up and say, this is what our church has decided to do? Why can't they do that? Just be honest. Why can't you just go and fall back on church authority in that situation? We don't have, we don't have a clear command in the Bible on what to do here. So we as a church, we have decided this. Why can't you just do, why can't you just do that? Just be honest. Uh, there's nothing wrong with being honest. I believe it would help them out, but instead, they're going to make a fool of themselves going and trying to just twist the Scriptures to make it look like what they're doing is the only biblical way of doing things and it's just a bunch of foolishness and it's very aggravating. It's, this is unprofitable and it's a complete waste of time. And when it comes to church membership, when it comes to church business, there are going to be differences from church to church for several reasons. And some things are going to be different because of church size. Okay? A smaller congregation doesn't necessarily need to be as organized. You understand that? that when, when you have a smaller congregation, it's a lot easier for the pastor to be on top of every little thing and to know what's going on in every situation and know everybody. But what about when the church starts getting bigger? Well, when, the, you know, you know, when the church is running 50, that's one thing, but what about when the church is running 200, 300, or 5, 6, even 1,000 people? Do you really think a church that runs 100 is going to operate exactly the way a church that runs 1,000? Obviously not. There's, so church size is going to affect it. So there's going to be some differences. And as the congregation grows, and as our congregation grows, the way business is done is going to change. It, it's, it's going to have to. Of necessity. And every time we change something and how we do our business... I'm not going to get up here and find a way to twist the scriptures to prove that I just found the biblical method of doing things. You know, I'm going to prove from the Bible why we've got to have seven trustees in every church. You know, I don't need to prove that. Or some churches, I remember my dad used to say how in the Southern Baptist world, it was like every church had to have seven deacons. Like every church wanted seven deacons. And in the Southern Baptist Church, the deacon was probably more like a trustee would be in a lot of other churches, but it was like you had to have seven deacons or you weren't a biblical church. And a lot of times they were real small churches and they might have only had seven guys in the church and most of them weren't qualified to be you know, a toilet scrubber, but they got to have seven deacons and so they're just making like every man in the church a deacon. And it's just, you don't have to have seven deacons, but that's what they did in the book of Acts. And it is, wasn't it? Go, you know, when you read that book of Acts, you know, they had seven men. But at the same time, too, in the book of Acts, the church was multiplying greatly. They had in the thousands. So a church that's in, running in the thousands is going to operate differently than a church with 50. So you know, take that into consideration. Church size is going to affect things. We don't go to the book of Acts and see seven deacons and then just declare every church has to have seven deacons. That's just dumb. But that's what churches are doing. Church location is going to affect things. 
You know, different countries have different rules. In China, do you think they're going to be able to do church the way we do church here today? They're not allowed to have a church building like we do today and preach the things that we do. And They have to do things in secret oftentimes. They have to meet in people's houses. Some places, it's going to be different. Now, are those not biblical churches because they don't have a sign? Because they're not read, you know, in the phone book? Because they don't have a website? No, listen, if there's people, if they're meeting together and they're meeting in a house, they're just as much a church as we are. But is their business going to be done the same? Absolutely not. Do you think they're going to handle their finances the same way we do? If they're not even allowed to have a church, do you think they're going to go get a bank account? Obviously not. So how are they going to do things with their finances? I can tell you right now, it's not going to be the way we do. It's a different church in a different country in a different situation. What does the Bible say? I'll tell you what the Bible says. It tells us to figure it out. It tells us to figure out, and that's exactly what we're going to do. So different location comes with different, you know, different rules and often different cultures. Sometimes the culture is going to affect how things are done. And most of us, it's amazing how many of these preachers too, these are the worst ones. You talk to some, some foreign missionaries sometimes and you want, to, you want to find out where they're fired up. It's when they have these preachers over here in the United States just getting all over for them for not handling things the same way they do in the United States. It's like, these guys have no idea. This is a completely different culture that would never work over here in a thousand years these people do not respond to that. Obviously, in different cultures, you're going to have to do things a little different. If we go start in a culture where everyone gets up at noon, you know, we might not want to start church until one o'clock. You know, I, I mean, I, and, oh, well, that's just that's that's bad character, blah blah. blah. Well, you know what? I, I understand that, but you know, I don't see where in the Bible it says we have to meet at eleven o'clock. So if they want to do what's convenient in that culture in that situation. Then you know I say go for it, let them do it. That's fine. And, you know there's there's different situations. Churches get just getting started often have special circumstances. Obviously, if you're starting a church in the pastor's house, things are going to be different than when you have a church building, isn't it? Uh, you know there's you know a church just getting started. You're going to have to do a lot of things different. There's special circumstances. You know, a new church plant doesn't often have a permanent location, so they've got to handle things differently. And we just we've got to understand that congregations should be qualified to figure out what to do for their situation. And when a pastor gets up because he's defensive and he's insecure about how he's doing things in his church and he wants to get up and he wants to twist the book of Acts to prove what they're doing is the only biblical way to do anything, that is just irresponsible, it's reckless, and it's arrogant. And I don't believe we ought to do that. Church leadership is going to affect things too. Different leaders have different styles. Different leaders have different strengths. And they have different weaknesses. And often, the way a pastor leads a church, you know, it's based on what his strengths and weaknesses are. If you have one pastor, maybe he's just super organized. He's going to do certain things himself. Where you have another pastor, he's not. He might want to delegate that out to somebody else. But then you got Pastor Arrogant, who knows it all. 
I'm the one that does this. I'm the one that does that. I don't believe anybody ought to touch that other than the pastor. Where do you see in the book of Acts? You know, or where do you see the Apostle Paul? You know, it's just, no. Different preachers can handle things differently. There's, there's areas where we are allowed to disagree. No two leaders are going to be exactly the same. <clears throat> and a major mistake from the previous generation, and I have heard this over and over again, that back in the pastor school days, in, in, the, in the pastor school A days, one of the problems that often came from pastor school is you'd have thousands of pastors going to pastor school and they would hear Jack Hiles get up and say how he does stuff and they would go back to their church and try to be Jack Hiles. And the thing is, even Jack Hiles preached against that. But they would. They would go home to their church and then all of a sudden, they weren't pastor so-and-so anymore. They were Jack Hiles. And they were going and just busting heads and doing this and doing that and just destroying their churches. You can't do that. Hey, you Different congregations are different. Different pastors are different. We don't all have the same qualities, the same strengths, same weaknesses. I heard a pastor tell a story one time. I don't know if it's a true story or just a preacher's story. The Jack Howells, he had this message. He was preaching one time and he just got up and he literally went and started walking across the top of the pews in the back of the auditorium. I guess that was one of the things he would do. And he, you know, he was making an illustration. You know, you got a point you're trying to get to back there, and nothing's going to get in the way. And he just goes walking through the crowd on top of the, standing on the top parts of the pews. That's pretty good. I thought about trying that before, but I'm figuring what would happen to me is what happened to this guy in this sermon. So he went and he saw, he saw him. He told his assistant pastor, he was like, "Man, that was a great illustration. That was powerful." He's like, "I'm going to go home and I'm going to try that. I'm going to do that in our church." And so he went and he did it in his church, and he didn't make it. He fell down. And he had to get carried out of the service. <laughs> and he got done. He told his assistant as he's taking him as he's taking him home. He's just like, I don't think the Lord is in that at all. <laughs> and the truth is, it wasn't. And you know, the the thing is, you know, there there was only one Jack Hiles. What Jack Hiles did for Jack Hiles was fine for Jack Hiles, but it wasn't for everyone else. And we see the same thing today too. You know, you've got people they want to be Pastor Stephen Anderson. But there's only one Pastor Stephen Anderson. Not everybody is going to do things exactly like him and handle things exactly the way he does. And you know what? It's repulsive when people try. It is. It's very off-putting. And it's, I find it very aggravating. Okay? Because you know, God did not call any of us to be someone else. He called us to be us. And if we're going to go and we're going to try to imitate anybody, it ought to be Jesus Christ. And while we can learn things and we can glean things from other people, that's fine. At the end of the day, we are all different. We are all our own church. And it's high time people just figure that out and stop trying to be a carbon copy of whoever it is they like. It's, it's very, very off-putting. I've got a big problem with that. And many churches over the years, you know, they have... You know, had certain policies and certain things, and it was just because someone else followed it. You know, so for example, you know, many churches over the years have had the policy that baptism makes you a member. But did you know that today, I believe today's situation demands different. Because think about it. All right, in the Book of Acts, it does say they were baptized, and it says three thousand souls were added to the church. And the truth is, I think before somebody's a member they need to have been scripturally baptized. I agree with that. But here's, here's the thing. 
we, in our bylaws that we have, we have it in there that baptism does not automatically make you a member. Here's why. If baptism does make you a member, or if it did then, one thing they didn't have to worry about back then because of the fact that these are all Jewish people, the Jewish people, for the most part, they had certain moral things under control, didn't they? But what's a problem that we have today? A lot of people that get saved today are living in fornication. They're, you know, they're shacking up. So what a lot of old IFB churches have done, they have often denied baptism to people who have gotten saved because of certain sins that are in their life. Well, I don't think that's right. I think if somebody gets saved, they ought to get baptized right away and then they can start fixing all those other things. But yet a lot of churches have denied baptism to people Well, because we can't if, if we baptize them, they're members in the church. And if they're members in the church, first thing we've got to do is throw them out of the church. So they're going to go and they're going to baptize them and then they're going to have to bring them before the church and throw them out of the church. <laughs> you know, so what they do is they just deny baptism. Well, the thing is, because we have such a messed up culture where people are shacking up, I believe it demands that we have a policy that baptism does not automatically mean church membership. We'll baptize them, but if they want to become members, they're going to have to separate or they're going to have to get married. We, and that's the policy that we have. Now, many churches in the United States for years had that policy because it used to be pretty rare that people were shacking up in the United States because we had a much more Christian culture. But that has changed, hasn't it? And there are many churches that I know of, some bigger churches too, that have changed that policy. Because they're like, we need to be baptizing people. But we can't baptize them and then just throw them out of the church first thing. You know, and bring them before the church. You know, we can't do that, so let's baptize them, but that doesn't automatically make them a member. And then now let's try discipling them. And then if they get right, we will let them be a part of the church. So do you all see how you know, that, that's a change that many churches have made and I believe it was a good change. It was one the church, churches should have made because there's different situations now. And so the fact of the matter is the Bible doesn't always give us specific commands of these things because there isn't a one-size-fits-all for every situation. It's just not there in the Bible. But God expects us to be able to figure some things out ourselves. Look what it says in Acts chapter, or not Acts, uh, 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 1. It says, Dare any of you having a matter against another go to law before the unjust and not before the saints? Do you not know that the saints shall judge the world? And if the world shall be judged by you, are ye unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Know ye not that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? If then we have judgments of things pertaining to this life, set them to judge who are the least esteemed in the church. You know what he's saying here? He's like, you guys ought to be able to make some decisions. You ought to be able to figure some things out. He didn't say, if you're having any matter against another, go to the Word of God and find out what it says and just do that. Because there isn't, you know, not every situation can be found in the Bible. Now, you can find principles, I believe, for every situation, but you can't find the exact situation in every Bible. So you know what God you know, has called for? You know what we need in that situation? Judges. Not in a black robe out there. No. We are supposed to judge that. And when we have different situations come up, God expects us to be capable. When I give my wife... you know. 
If I give my wife and I tell her, all right, here's the money to go grocery shopping, we would have a problem if she's got to call me up the whole time. You know, you know, which, you know, which loaf of bread should I buy? You know, I don't even know the I don't even know the brands. You know, Wonder Bread or it shows how much I go grocery shopping. All right, you know, <laughs> you can tell she you know, she doesn't call me up with every little thing. She should be able to figure that out. You know, and she knows what my answer would be. Which one's cheaper? You know, <laughs> not which one tastes better. Which one's cheaper? You know, that that would, that would be my answer for everything. But, you know, there are some things we just should be able to figure out. And God has called us to do that. So when it comes to church membership, there isn't going to be any two churches that does things exactly the same. However, you should follow the method that that church has chosen. Okay, now, if, now, some churches, they take some of these things really far. I don't, I don't believe that I would go or join a church that required me to be baptized again. I think that's really taking it too far, and that's just weird. Uh, I, when I got baptized, it was to identify me with Jesus Christ, not necessarily a particular church. I don't think I need to be baptized again. I think I'm just going to say, man, as much as I like your church and I think you're great, I think you're taking this way too far. I don't think I would do that. Uh, some churches, they make you go through classes. I don't think you need to go that far, but you know what? If I really wanted to join a church, I'd take their classes. You know, I can't say it's a bad thing. It's probably good to let people know what they're in for. Go through, all right, well, you know, we're just, maybe they're going to teach them their statement of faith. You know, if they're going to have you go through that class and make you do weird stuff, you know, don't do that. But, you know, it's just, yeah, it's fine. That's their method they came up with. I, I can't, I can't fault that. We haven't taken it that far, but I think you ought to follow it unless they're requiring you to do something that violates the scriptures, goes against your conscience, whatever. You know, don't do that. And the truth is, I've talked to many pastors who have people who regularly attend that will not join their church because their membership process is different than like faithful works. And I find that very aggravating when they tell me that. And and the thing is, now if that church, I know some churches, they won't let you join if you're not going to sign a paper saying that you believe all these things and one of them has to be pre-trip. Now, if that's the case, then you don't believe that, don't join that church. But not all churches are like that. Some churches, you know, they don't, you know, it's, they don't make you sign anything like that, and they don't make you agree to that. They just make you agree, well, don't be teaching anything contrary to the statement of faith. You know, it's different from, in different churches. So in that case, well, then I would, I would join that church. I, I would recommend that they do that. I know some people, who churches that believe just like we do, but their membership process is different, and so people go to their church don't want to join because that's different than how Pastor Anderson does at his church. And I find that very revolting. I that it's a different church. It's a different church, and it even has the same doctrine, and you're not going to join because of the a different membership process. You think you should just automatically be a member because you're there? You got problems. They probably don't want you in that church because you don't understand church authority. You've given it to a pope. You have created a pope in your own mind. And that is out of line right there. And you know, we don't want people in this church to believe in a pope. Alright? Because we don't, we don't have a pope. I find that very aggravating and very revolting. So, you know, some things, the, 
you know, we should do when it, when it comes to how church be run, I'm just going to cover this quickly, is I do believe we ought to do our best to find biblical precedent for what we are doing. Look at what it says in 1 Corinthians 9. Often in the Bible, we see Paul, when instructing people on what to do, he used biblical precedent. Okay, He used something from the Old Testament. Look what it says in 1 Corinthians 9. 9. He says, For it is written in the law of Moses, Thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of the ox that treadeth out the corn. Doth God take care for the oxen? Now, why was Paul teaching this? What was this law about? Was this law about taking care of your oxen? Yes, it was. But Paul used the principle. He uses the precedent to say, if God wants to take care of the oxen that's doing the work, He wants us to take care of the pastor that's doing the work. Okay. Now, thanks to Paul, we have a clear command in the Scripture you know, to take care of the pastor. And I thank God for that. I'm glad I don't have to go to thou shalt not muzzle the ox and convince you all that you know, the biblical... Pre- you know, I, I, we've got a biblical command now. But when Paul here, when he's originally given this, he gave it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So I do believe it equals a command now. But the scripture that he used was based off of it was based his teaching on that was based off biblical precedent. He went back to the Old Testament. He found an example that is appropriate. In First Timothy five eighteen, it says, "For the scripture saith, Thou shalt not muzzle the mouth, uh, muzzle the ox, and treadeth out the corn, and the laborer is worthy of his reward." He did it again there in First Timothy. He's teaching it again, and he went back and he used biblical precedent to tell them what ought to be done in that situation. And whenever we're trying to figure out what to do, if we can find an example of the Bible and say, well, look, you know, this situation is very similar to what we're in. Look at what they did here. Let's do that. When it comes to how we're going to win people to Christ, we see how they went from house to house in the Bible. Now, I've said this before and I'll say it again. Is that the only way to go soul winning? Sorry, don't stop and talk to those people on the streets. I don't see them doing that in the Bible. I see them going from house to house. I believe in doorstep evangelism. That's it. That's what we see them doing in the book of Acts. You know, that's just what they did because that was effective. And so we have learned from that. But you know what we're going to do? We're going to continue to talk to people that are out walking on the streets. People riding their bikes. Where do you see them witnessing to people on their bicycles in the Bible? You know, you know, y'all see how you can just get stupid? I mean, just flat out ignorant with this kind of stuff? We, we ought to do our best to find an example, but we're not always going to find something exactly like that. And if we find something that's similar for our situation, that doesn't equal a Bible command that every church everywhere in the world has to follow. So we, we can't be that arrogant to think that. So secondly, we ought to learn from those who've been successful and learn from others' failures too. In Hebrews 13, verse 7, it says, Remember them which have the rule over you, have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. Look at the end of their look, look at how they succeeded. Look at how they finished well. Learn from them, he said. He's saying, remember them, follow them. Why? Because what they're doing is is working. And if there's another church somewhere that has a very similar situation to what we do, and it's an area where we have to judge and where we have to decide, it is completely okay for us to go and look at another church. And look at a church like Faithful Word. And say, all right, what are they doing in this situation? Not because we're looking for the only way to do things, but we're saying, hey, here's something similar to what we do. This is a situation similar. 
Is this working for him? And if it's working, let's use it. I steal good ideas all the time. That's where all my good ideas come from. I probably stole all of them. There's nothing wrong with that. But these things are not just spelled out commands that everyone in the world has to do. We learn from each other. We learn from successes and we learn from failures. When we're thinking about how to do something and somebody brings up, you know, well, you know here's the one we can do. I, you know, I might be like, well, you know what? I knew a church, they did it that way, man, and it, it failed miserably. You know what? Let's learn from their mistake. That's a good thing to do. You can preach a whole mess about learning from others' mistakes. And so we're, we're going to do that. It's okay to do that. And if we do, if we look, you know, if, if, if we're trying to figure out how to handle a certain situation and we look to a faithful word, that's fine. Some people might call us a cult, but that's fine. If we go and we learn from a different church, you know, then you got some people out there that say that you know we're, you know, we'll have somebody writing letters, Pastor Anderson, you know, because we're not doing things. New IFB enough. You know, we're gonna we're gonna learn from whoever we can learn from, and try to get the good from everybody. So then the last thing we need to make sure we do or not do, let's not try to reinvent the wheel. Now turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Let me show you something here real quick. Now we covered 1 Corinthians 11 a couple weeks ago when we were talking about uh, the Lord's Supper. But before he got to the Lord's Supper, or that was last week, look what he said in verse 1. He says, Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the ordinances I deliver them to you. But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonoreth his head. But every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered dishonoreth her head. For that is even one as if she were shaven. For if the woman be not covered, let her also be shorn. And if it be a shame for a woman to be shorn or shaven, let her be covered. For a man indeed ought to cover his head for as much as he is the image and glory of God. Or ought not to. For he is in the image and glory of God. But the woman is the glory of the man. For the man is not of the woman. But the woman of the man, neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. For this cause ought the woman to have power over her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, neither is the man without the woman, neither the woman without the man in the Lord. For the woman is of the man, even so is the man also by the woman, but all things are of God. Now watch this. Judging yourselves, is it comely that a woman pray unto God uncovered? Notice what he's been dealing with here. He's dealing with something that's very specific to that culture and that time. And he's asking them, you know, is it, is it a shame that for your woman to have her head, for the women to have their head uncovered while praying in church? He's telling them, and basically he's showing them how, yeah, this is a problem. He explains in here how the woman's hair is given her for a covering. But he's showing here that, you know what, it's a problem if you've got a man with his head covered while he's praying and if the woman's head is uncovered. That was something that, you know, socially uh, and you know, during that time, it would have been a shame. Now, I personally believe it still is a shame. You know, culturally, women still have long hair for the most part in our country, don't they? And I'm thankful for that. It's a good thing. It's a glory. But notice what he said here. He said, you know, judging yourselves is it comely. He's, you know, know what he didn't do? He didn't go back to a clear command in the Bible for women to have long hair. He didn't go to that. He's just saying, 
Judge this yourself. Does this even look okay to you? And I think he's making it very clear it's not. And then notice what he says. Because he says, but if any man seem to be contentious, if somebody comes along and like, show me the chapter and the verse on that. You know, like the trendies are doing all the time, show me the chapter and the verse where the Apostle Paul wore a shirt and tie and a suit. Show me that. Well, let me ask you. Is it comely? Is it for a preacher to get up in skinny jeans and preach? Is it comely for me to get up here in skinny jeans and a pink shirt and prance around behind a glass pulpit like Josh Tice, you know, and just act like it is a flaming fruitcake? You know, is is that is, you know is that comely that I do that? I, I think we as a church ought to be able to come up with rules and say, you know what, no skinny jeans. It's okay for us to do it. You know why? Because it's it's very uncomely. But you know what? If any of you seem to be contentious, alright, mister, I want a chapter and verse for everything. Well, you know what? I don't know the chapter and verse, but let me tell you like what Paul said. Look what he said here. But if any man seem to be contentious, we have no such custom, neither the churches of God. You know what he's saying right here? Y'all are want to be contentious about this thing, but I don't know of any good churches that are doing it this way. Notice he's not giving them a Scripture. He's just saying, there's no good churches doing it this way. Y'all are just trying to come up with some new thing. And let me ask you, you show me the fire-breathing preacher in skinny jeans and I'll eat my hat. You're not going to find it. You find me the preacher in skinny jeans and a pink shirt prancing around with a limp wrist like Josh Tice preaching hard against the Sodomites and I'll eat my hat. Better yet, I'll eat a cheeseburger. If you find that, you show me some queer looking skinny jeans preacher prancing around in his pink shirt and skinny jeans preaching hard against the homos and I will eat a cheeseburger. I probably shouldn't have said that, but I did. I said it. And I'll do it. Because you know what? You're not going to find it. You know why? Because it, it, it just doesn't happen. And you have these people that come along all the time that are wanting to just come up with these brand new ways of doing everything. Time out. I understand God has given the church some authority, but we ought to follow good examples. It ought to at least resemble what we have seen done in the past and resemble that which has been proven. And we're not going to use this authority God gave us to just come up with a whole new system of doing things. We're not going to do that. Which is what these guys are trying to do today. And... I believe that is appropriate. If we are the only one doing something, there's probably a problem. If we are the first church to ever preach this doctrine, you know, like some of the Doka doctrines, there's probably something wrong with it. There, you know, we ought to be able to have some examples that we can look to. And I remember, I remember leaving that a comment on one of Doka saying, "Like, what did the church do for two thousand years without you guys? You all have revealed." Like so many new doctrines in your first year as a church. How did the church make it? How did the gates of hell not prevail over the church without Tyler Doka and all his brand new doctrines that he brought to them? That should have been a red flag for these guys. But, you know, what are you going to do when you're lost? You're going to end up in weird, strange places because you don't know where you're going. So here's why we have church membership 
a church membership process that isn't automatic for everyone. And this is this is just what we decided to do a long time ago when we started the church. I'm not making a big deal about it. I'm not saying every church has to do it this way. It's actually extremely simple. Alright? First off, we do have our services are public that it just anyone can show up to. Okay? And as a church, we are also an earthly organization. We have a bank account. We own land. We own this building. We are using Caesar's money. So we need to have some kind of written process in our constitution and things just in case we ever have any problems, in case the government ever comes looking into things. We want to be able to show them, hey, we have an actual process. And whenever we are going to make big decisions like buying another building and things like that, I need to be able to show that I didn't just decide to go just spend all this money. I need to show that I had accountability, that we had a process, and I didn't do anything illegal when I spent this money or when I took this pay from the church. So we've got to have some kind of process. It's to protect, it's to protect ourselves. So I don't believe we're asking too much when all we really do, obviously our requirements, you've got to be saved, you've got to be baptized, things like that. But we just ask when people come if they want to officially be a member where they're able to be in leadership and all these things, that they publicly they publicly state to the church their desire to be members of this church. And then we as a church accept them. And it's always been unanimous. And we have that as a process. Because if we don't have something on paper, you know, what's to say, you know, we have a group of sodomites to show up here and just declare themselves, you know, members of the church. You know, and they vote me out. You know, I mean, obviously, it'd be hard for them to get away with that kind of thing. But doesn't it help if we have some kind of process on paper in case there ever is any issues? We do need to protect ourselves, and that's pretty much all there is to it. I don't think that's asking a lot. Is it different than what other churches do? Yeah. You know, is it always going to be? Is that always going to be the process? I don't know. I mean, there might come a time where we're like, you know, we probably should change this a little bit. We might want to make it a little harder. We might want to make it a little easier. I don't know. It, it, it really depends. This, that's what we have for now. And I believe people ought to follow it. And nobody needs to get weirded out if we do it a little different than faithful work does. We're a different church in a different place with a different pastor and different people. And we have a different process. And if somebody has a problem with it and they're thinking, oh, there's only one way to do it, then I recommend that they move to that place that they think is the one way it ought to be done and stay out of our hair. That's all there is to that. All there is to it. This is another example of an area where God has given us authority. And if you can learn any from this, from this, you know, preachers too, they're often just getting out of line, trying to force the scriptures to say something and to show a command that's just not there, so they can prove that their way is right. Just get over yourself. Just get over yourself and say, this is what we're going to do. And that's all there is to it. And I believe you will not butcher the Scriptures as a result. So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank You so much for Your Word. I pray You'll help us, Lord, to, uh, as a church, take uh, the authority You've given us serious. I pray we'll handle it in a proper way, in the most biblical way possible, in a way that is ultimately seeking to glorify You. And I pray You'll help us to be successful in these things. I pray You'll help us not to go around judging every church that doesn't do it exactly the way we do and condemning others, but you'll just help us be united as a church 
Uh, it helps us as we try to protect ourselves in a wicked world where you know accusations can come from anywhere at any time. Help us to be ready for these things. Help us to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. In your name we pray. Amen.